If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we will be in the Gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter. Fifth chapter, you have Matthew, then you have Mark, then you have the physician Luke himself. And if I can say something just real brief as you're finding your spot in Luke 5, be in verse, start at verse 12. Uh, some people might have questions about, you know, who this character is, Luke, and Luke wasn't an apostle. This is completely unrelated to the sermon. He was not an apostle uh, as others were, uh, but yet at the same time, here's a man who was greatly detailed in research. He was excellent at finding out the evidence that was so important and pertinent to the life of Jesus. And he is one of the most detailed of our gospel writers. And so if you like details and if you like good research and you want to get into the the richness of the gospel text, Luke is definitely your man to read. Uh, That's one reason why I like him of many. If you found your spot in Luke 5, we'll be reading uh, from verses 12 to 26. If you can stand, would you please stand with the reading of Christ's word this morning. May you hear the word of Christ. While he, that is Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go, he said, and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses has commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he, Jesus, drew away to desolate places to pray. Verse 17, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace towards us. Thank you for gathering us this morning on this very day in which we can hear your words spoken. We can sing hymns of praise to you. And hopefully, 
we can say that same thing at the very last verse, verse 26 this morning. We have seen extraordinary things today after we leave. And so, Lord, open our eyes. Open our hearts to receive your word so that we might be a people of your word. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Over the years, I found that we shouldn't completely separate several things. I'm going to give you just a small list of the things that we cannot completely, I hope you hear that word, completely separate. Beauty and ethics. How we live and the things that we find is beautiful. We can't hopefully completely separate those. Maybe religion and politics. I know we live in a particular world, a republic and a democracy that says that those things have to be completely separated, but there tends to be a thin line there. That they cannot be completely, hear that word, completely separated. Hopefully our hope in the things of Christ do bleed over in how we live out our own politics, the ways of Jesus. Science and faith. That we're told that, oh, you need to keep your faith over here and this science over here. Those are completely separated. And we should say, no, no, no. There can't be completely separated. But because the things of God, the extraordinary things that he's done, should bleed over into how we can explain the world in the way that it is through the sciences. Or even private and public. I think we know this in the world we live, that there's not everything, not everything is completely private. Things that are what you think private do tend to show up in the limelight and they do become public. Hopefully our private faith, so to speak, the things that are very personal to us do bleed over and they do spill over into our public life. And lastly, one thing that we shouldn't completely separate is faith and justice. Now, I'm fully aware of the conversations that happened concerning gospel and justice in the past 100 years, 125 years in America. And one of the things that we need to definitely keep before our eyes is that the gospel is not justice. Did you hear me? The gospel is not social justice. But at the same time, I think we can faithfully and clearly say that the things of the gospel do spill over and have just living. They do spill over. The things of the gospel do spill over and create communities that are just and right and good. When it comes to this sermon today, I hope we see that our faith, our heart allegiance to Christ does spill over into acts of justice with our hands. The things of our heart that have been moved by Christ do spill over into our hands to work, to see that things that are wrong in the world, that they are made right. So here are the questions I want us to really wrestle with this morning. Two of them. First, can faith offer just like healing in our daily lives? Can faith give healing to not only our personal lives, but to the public world around us? Second, and if so, what kind of social healing does a Christian justice offer to our communities? We're going to look for very specific examples of how the gospel does take root in our lives and it spills over into our communities to offer justice to our communities. 
So let's engage this text that we just read a few minutes ago about uh, what Christ has for us and the things that we can look for. Let's begin by looking at uh, the leper that Jesus heals in verses 12 through 16. Leprosy in the time of Jesus and even to today there are communities throughout the globe that are only home to lepers. And we need to know that leprosy isn't just one particular thing. Leprosy actually has a handful to ten different um, scenarios of the disease itself. But the leprosy that we seem to be looking at was a very serious disease in Jesus' day. And the persons who were affected, it could also possibly affect everyone around him. It was more than just a physical. It was more than just a personal disease of the skin. This particular leper. It was also a social disease as well. For example, listen to Leviticus 13 that deals directly with an instruction to lepers and leprosy. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Hear this. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Did you catch all that? And the, the, the tearing of the clothes, the letting loose of the hair, these are like signs to say that this person is different from the rest. Because of the condition of his or her skin, this is a person you cannot touch. He or she has to live alone, and also they have to live outside of the camp of Israel. They cannot be near. So yes, it's a deeply physical, it's a deeply personal, and it's a deeply social disease in, in the days of Jesus. But think about that, alone. He is to live alone, away from family villages, away from home life, away from the marketplaces where food and Goods are sold completely outside the camp, not near families, not near friends or community dinners. They are completely set off from everyone else. They can't partake or belong to any social activities until the priests and the priesthood would consider them clean or there's no sign of disease on their skin. And so... We can probably guess that such aloneness, such separation from the life and luster of the community would have taken aware on the psyche of this, of this leper, on the mind of this leper. Depression was probably likely. Anxiety was probably likely. And so when you see this leper, as Jesus did, as this one who is on the margins of the society, he or she would have no real place in the world. He or she would have been in between places. You're not a part of us, but you're not completely separated. You're in between this world that we live on a daily basis. He's not completely cast away from his people, but he's certainly not included either. Not there in the middle of their own community. And all of his life hinges on one word, clean. His entire life hinges on whether he's clean or not. Whether he has been cured of this disease or not. 
So when we if we could translate this into American terms today, we would use words instead of clean, we would say something like accepted. We would use words like acknowledged. He was acknowledged. He was accepted. He was recognized. He was confirmed, approved. He was normal. He was healthy. As Jesus was teaching, Luke records this. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Let's look at the paralyzed man. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, the roof needed to be opened and his bed laid down through the tiles in the midst of Jesus. And so here we have a group of men taking this paralyzed man to Jesus because this very Jesus of Nazareth has been going throughout all of the area, surrounding area curing people of diseases and afflictions. But notice in verses 20 and 21, things get tense really quick. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Notice, he saw their faith. That is, the men's compassion and sacrifice. The one that are bringing in the paralyzed man. And it is not his faith, the paralyzed man, but he says, Your sins are forgiven. Even though these men are bringing him in on this stretcher, so to speak, he acknowledges the faith of these men who are carrying this one paralyzed man in, and he says to the one paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. But we need to see the context of what's going on because it does get tense. The Pharisees and the scribes, to use Garland's language sometimes, they, they freak out. They see the situation. Whoa, 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 Mr. Jesus. Who can forgive but, but God alone? Look at what Luke writes in verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, notice that they're thinking this. He perceived their thoughts and he answered them. Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk. Verse 24. But you know that the Son of Man has been given authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up and picked up what he had been lying on, went home glorifying God. Let's step back a second. And we need to understand why the Pharisees are so upset here. The question they're asking is this, who can forgive sins but God alone? which ultimately is authority question. It's an authority question. You, Jesus, are going around, you're healing people of diseases, you're feeding thousands, and you're telling this paralyzed man that his sins are forgiven. Who do you think you are? That's an authority question. How can you, this little Jesus of Nazareth, this no place person, forgive sins? So what they're really asking is this. How come you are bypassing, you're sidestepping, and going around the priesthood and the temple? Did you hear what I just asked? Why are you going around the way that things have been done? In order for forgiveness to truly happen in this day and time, 
you would go to the temple. You would offer your sacrifices and you would hear from the priesthood, your sins are forgiven. And here comes this teacher out of Nazareth who says, outside the temple, not inside the temple, your sins are forgiven. You can't do that, Jesus. You can't go around and you cannot say that you're greater than the temple. You can't, what you're saying is that you are in the same type of authority as Yahweh, as God himself. And Jesus says, yep, you're right. Because legalists love these types of questions. What types of questions? Was the question that the Pharisees are asking. Because here's what they're asking. You're not doing the things the way that they've always been done. What you're asking is, or what you're telling people around you, Jesus, is that you're introducing something new and we don't like it. We've all been there before, church. We've asked those questions, haven't we? Whoa, we can't introduce that. No, that's not the way we've been doing things. We all have had this heart at some point because we are a little scared of something new that's changing in front of our eyes. Well, let me affirm that it's something that is long-lived us, thousands of years old. We are scared to see that something is new happening before our eyes. And what Jesus is confronting them with is a new means of forgiveness. Do you hear that? Is a new means of forgiveness. No longer will forgiveness be found through the priesthood, through the animal and grain sacrifices, and no longer in the temple. Why? Because Jesus is the true priest. Jesus is the sacrifice lamb. Jesus is the temple. It is in and through him that you find true forgiveness. And that's what he's saying. I am all of these things wrapped up into one. It is not like Jesus is saying, mm, let's do away with the temple. It's not what he's saying. In fact, he tells the leper, now that you've been proclaimed clean, go and show yourself to the priesthood. It's not like he's doing away with it. He's saying, it longs for me. That sacrifices, they looked towards me. The priesthood it longed for me. I am the true priest. So God, he tells him in verse 24, God the Father has given the Son authority on earth as it was in heaven to extend forgiveness to whomever he pleases. Here's what I think we should notice about Jesus' interaction with the leper and the paralyzed man. First, as for the leper, we look over this too quickly, unfortunately. Jesus touches him. That's a big no-no in that culture. You touched a leper. You as a clean person touched a leper who is unclean, which according to that understanding, you would then be unclean. So Jesus would have been unclean, but as one writer says this, in theory... This action would have made Jesus both ceremonially unclean and liable to contract the actual disease of leprosy. But, as with so many of his healings, it worked the other way around. The man who is unclean is made clean and holy. His cleanness, his healing power, it infected the man who was unclean. If we're following and imitating the ways of Jesus' church, then our acts of justice 
we are to touch those who are marginalized and untouched as well. The people who are forgotten. The people who are not seen on a daily basis. The people who are looked over. They are to be seen as valuable regardless of their standing in society. That's what it means to be the church. And in fact, you have early reports in Rome when a disease hit certain cities of Rome or certain neighborhoods of Rome, everybody would flee except who? The Christians. They would stay in order to provide food and health no matter the cost. Maybe they would be infected and inflicted too. They run to those who are going to be overlooked. Here's the second thing that I think we should notice about Jesus' interaction. To both the leper and the paralyzed man, both were completely dependent upon the generosity of the Israelite community. They were completely vulnerable. In fact, almsgiving, donations, and charity were built into the very structure of Israel. If you read uh, Leviticus, if you read uh, Deuteronomy, you see that all of this was meant to take care of the least fortunate in their communities, the widows, the orphans, the stranger and foreigners, those who were stricken with disease, who needed help and care. All of Israel's society was pointed towards that to help those who were marginalized. And so we too cannot forget those who might need care, who are marginalized too. But what's this mean for us? What is healing have to do with justice? I mean, that's one of the major questions that we're looking at. We need to figure out what we mean by healing, though. Because we use healing all the time. We go to health care providers all the time. What do we mean by healing? As it relates to Scripture, let me throw a couple out. First, to heal is to correct. It is to put right what is incorrect or wrong. Or, more specifically, to heal is to restore to health. That's how we typically use the word heal or to be healed, to give and to receive healing. To heal is to restore to health. Jesus obviously physically heals a couple of people here, a leper and a paralyzed man. But notice there's a certain type of healing taking place. It's physical, obviously. Uh, a, A man with leprosy no longer has leprosy. It's physical healing. A man who's a leper, we don't know how long, I'm assuming paralyzed, we don't know how long this man was paralyzed. Could have been from birth, could have been an accident, uh, working or out in the community. We have no clue, but he was paralyzed and now he is physically and miraculously healed. But notice there's another type of healing that's taking place in this passage. It's a social healing Through his miraculous and physical healing of two people, Jesus also socially restores them. Socially restores them. And so we, I think we understand what type of social healing that we have as the church. A people who have professed Christ as king, we understand first that there's a social healing that takes place between us and the Father. Once there was this combative and broken relationship between us and the Father... We weren't on socially good terms with him until Christ arrives. Yet Jesus has redeemed us through his blood in order to make you right, to make you justified before our Father. Both the paralyzed man and the leper have been cleansed, yes, physically, 
but they've been socially healed as well because both of them now can participate in the worship that happens inside the temple. They can go and have relationships restored with Yahweh, with God himself. They would not have been allowed in the temple. Remember, they're marginalized. They're on the outside of the community because now he can offer this sacrifice and thanksgiving before God himself. Both of these men can. That's an example of the first way a social healing has occurred. Here's a second way that Jesus brings about social healing. Jesus heals us socially to the family he is building. We refer to this family as the church. We talked about this a couple of Sundays ago. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's family language. We have been healed through Christ's own restoration on the cross and in his resurrection to be brought together. We have been healed of diseases, diseases of the heart and the mind that tend to leak away from the things of Christ, the things of God. And we have been socially healed back here together in order to worship with one another and to do life with one another. So here's a little participation. I want you to repeat after me. Ready? Here's the first thing you say. I'm a sinner. Here's another one. I'm a saint. That's a paradox, church. That's not a contradiction. That is a paradox. We are a people broken yet redeemed. A people bent towards loving ourselves, but each and every day that Christ continues to make us into his image and likeness, we are trying our best to love God and neighbor as well. A sinner saint. And so we who have professed Christ as king are simultaneously a broken people, but we're being renewed into his image and likeness. So you see that there is a social healing that happens between us and the Father. There's a social healing that we have been made family members with one another in the church. And we have also been socially healed, I think. And here's the last point. In order for us to interact and engage with those who have no clue who this Jesus is. In order for us to demonstrate the ways of Jesus. He pushes us out socially into the world in order for us to demonstrate the healing that he offers and to be able to cultivate that healing into our own neighborhoods and homes and community and the like. And so I told you, if these things were true, if there is a connection between healing and justice, then what does that look like specifically in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our city? I'm going to offer five things. First, those with medical backgrounds, uh, we can foster social healing by checking in on our neighbors. You might think that, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. That is too simple. Guess what? In order to demonstrate our faith in Christ, it really is that simple. To check in on our neighbor's health, not that complicated. To see how they're doing, what they're in need of. Now, I'm not saying stand out on the curb and say, oh, yes, here's a script for that. That's not what I'm saying. But in order to check in on them daily, weekly, to see how they're physically doing, that is a small task, but it is, an, it is offering a type of healing towards them. 
as a writer years ago, I was sent all over the place to Toronto, Haiti, and South America. And guess what? Wherever the communications crew went, our photographer and me, guess who we traveled with? We traveled with a healthcare provider and a dentist and his team or her team. Because we understand as the church that healing isn't just physical, it's spiritual as well. It is more than just medical, physical health care, but there is a psychological health care. There is a deeper health care that we can offer as well. So second, there, those who are health conscious and have backgrounds in health science, we can even educate and create food plans for our own neighbors in our neighborhoods. We have fantastic federal federally and local um, funded programs across the nation that combat a number of health issues, yet the church, as I said a second ago, we have a unique perspective that we offer not just physical care, but also spiritual care as well. So we can offer a means that is tangible and intangible, physical and non-physical to our own neighbors who are in need of vibrant health in our community. Third, you know I have a sweetheart for this. Those who have a garden or a green thumb, you would be truly surprised the power of a community garden. I've seen it in Michigan, North Carolina, and Florida, where a community garden can actually bring a type of vibrancy and health to our community that you would not imagine. And I would love to see a citywide community garden program here in Trenton for those families who truly are hungry and are in need of food something as simple as that. Fourth, there's so much work to be done, and let me just go ahead and say that this is a very tense issue, but it needs to be said. So much work to be done in the race, racial reconciliation of our even our little city of Trenton, Tennessee. Racism didn't uh, end with a few big changes in government in the past so many decades. It's still very much alive and well. And if Paul is right, as he writes to the Ephesians, that broken, that Christ has broken down the walls of hostility between Greek and Jew, guess what? He has also broken down the walls of hostility between any ethnicity to be able to show and demonstrate that Christ truly is, to use Paul's language, our peace. He is the one that offers that. One of my favorite writers, Wendell Berry, even calls racism the hidden wound in society. The hidden wound, as you know, are medically very dangerous. Any hidden wound, you, you cannot see. They're lethal, in fact. And his point is that racism can, if it's hidden, it can be extremely lethal to the foundation of any society. So yes, just as Christian social reformer William Wilberforce was tackling the, the immorality of slavery and racism in his day, church, we are not exempt. Not exempt from diagnosing modern-day forms of slavery and racism and offering ourselves as healers of these things in our own day and world. And so if I could wrap up these five practical ways to demonstrate social healing in our world, let me end with this quote. Men completely convinced that love of God, which does not issue injustice for men, is a farce. Let me say it one more time. Men completely convinced that love of God, which does not issue injustice for men, is a farce. Let me put it in my own words. 
If you truly believe that you have experienced the love of God and it does not translate into a just living, then we're living nothing more than a mockery of the faith. We're just imitating something that's false. That's what he means by farce. That's a very long and kind of high-minded way to say that. But James said it like this, church. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, faith is action. It is not merely something of the heart. It is of the hands as well. And so if we truly are a people of faith, a people of the gospel, then we will see that it is ruminating in our hearts in order to extend it into our hands to live out just ways in order to provide healing to our culture. How in the world can Hickory Grove do that? I'm not exactly sure, but I would love to hear some great ideas. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Because we are absolutely saturated and drowning in that grace this morning. We have been given so many opportunities to be able to see your grace throughout the day and throughout the week. And sometimes we're so busy that we forget to look. And that we're so busy and caught up in the changing of diapers, the feeding of mouths, the tending to important uh, meetings, to helping our neighbor, tackling whatever tasks and to-dos for the day that we sometimes just forget to sit back and look and say, because of grace, I'm able to do these things. And so, Lord, Lord willing, we have seen your favor this morning. And that we would pause and truly reflect on the fact that we have seen extraordinary things before us. And so may you continue to let us wrestle with this message. May we continue to wrestle what it means to be actually a part of a church, a people who are family. And as we know, families, we can fight. Yet, at the end of the day, we recognize that, Jesus, you are our peace. That you reconcile us. That you have restored us to yourself, but also to each other. And that we would be a people of peace, of healing, and of justice. And so as we end this month of July looking at just living, may we be haunted by James's words that faith by itself is dead, but it needs action. Faith needs action. Faith needs movement. And so may you open our eyes to see opportunities to be able to spill our own lives and our hands and our heart and our minds into our communities to, to demonstrate that there has been a great peace made and that there is a great justice that has been made. And may we demonstrate and exude this justice. Lord, give us opportunities to live that out. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.